this bonus episode of the Her Story Speaks podcast. I'm your host, Andrea Miller. I say bonus because my guest today was on the podcast last year to share her story, but graciously she's agreed to join me again today for a deeper conversation into our country's racist past and present. Marcy Walker is a writer, historian, and creator of the popular platform Black Coffee with White Friends. But more than that, Marcy is a woman who I adore and call friend, and I'm so grateful for her voice and time. Marcy sat down with me yesterday for a raw and real conversation on the heels of another black life being murdered in this country. As you will hear, Marcy and I dive right into our conversation, talking about all the hard things. I know some parts of our conversation are going to be uncomfortable, but if we're going to move forward and heal our country's past, we have to acknowledge our true history. Perhaps most importantly in our conversation, Marcy challenges us with the real question she poses of not what can we do to change the current narrative, but what price are we willing to pay? Are you good for today? I am. You know, I I feel I took a lot of time last night and I I just kind of have this feeling that if I don't keep moving forward, I just stop, you know? Right. I get that for sure. Yeah. And I think last night, even because I had sent you an email, I was just, yeah, I didn't so even realize, I, well, I didn't even realize at that time, the depth at all that had happened in Minneapolis. And yeah, yeah. when I, like you, I can't sleep in the night. I woke up at like four thinking about <laughs> things and I'm like, gosh, that's going to be too much. I shouldn't have her talk about this today. And no, so no. I just, I, we're at different places and I know this is, I can't even remotely relate to what your feelings and thoughts as a black woman. So I just really want to be sensitive to that. Oh, um, you are being, thank you so much for giving me the space. It's, it's, it's the one thing I said to my husband asked me last night, who, you know, is, um, is a British redheaded, could yes. not be more opposite than me. <laughs> yes. Yes. He, he said, he asked me, you know, because he, he, of course, was worried and concerned yeah. and also grieving. And he asked me, he said, I said, but it's really hard for me to, because I have a platform. Yeah. So it's like, it's different for me in the sense that, yes, I'm grieving, but I also have, I also can put up a post and have thousands of people like it. And there are a lot of people who don't have the privilege of that. That's a privilege, I, you know, to have, to be able to share your feelings and, and grief productively. It, right. And, and like, my, yeah. No, go ahead. So you're just my sister doesn't have that. She right. was really distraught when Ahmad um, was killed, was shot. And she was, she called me that morning and she begged me to post some, I already posted something but you know, it it just gave me perspective that I I've been given a lot, and I wanna I wanna do well with it for those who don't have a voice or someone to hear their grief or someone who will listen. And she had a son who's the same age. My nephew's the same age that Omad was, and she was paranoid for him to go to work that day. Mm-hmm and crying, you know, freaking him out. And, yeah. you know, she, you know, but she couldn't, she couldn't just post about it or right. write a book about it or, you know, so I just, I, yeah, it's hard, but I have to be honest with myself and say, you know, I, I've been given much and right. that's not something that everyone can say. So, right. and I mean, you and I are on such different playing fields as far as as followers and the platform, but I feel like the little bit I have of a white audience, mostly, it's that's why I just feel they don't need to hear me talk or my perspective. They need to hear other Black women and Black stories and what you're feeling. And so that's why I just appreciate so much your voice and you talking with me again and why I think I just keep feeling compelled to want to talk to you more because you've been also so gracious and kind to me through my stuff when I question why does she give me the time of day honestly oh because you're lovely oh (laughs) that is kind of you but I think you know I struggle with when I know now knowing more history and mm-hmm. how white people have treated. I'm like, I, I think if I was a black person, I just would have a hard time liking any white person. And maybe that's my own 
it's in our meanness. I don't know. I'm just really now more processing and thinking all that. And I, I think, always, what, oh, go ahead. Oh, no. And I just was saying, saying, going, you know, to a predominantly black church and how I'm like, I mean, my daughter always surprised, like, why are they so nice to us? I, I think it's, <laughs> it's a lot like as women take away color and just say, as women, we still like men. We, yeah. we still, we are, we are wired to need right. one right. another. And right. so I think in the end, I always think of Harriet Tubman. I, people mm-hmm. ask me, why is she? It's not because she freed so many slaves. It's because she had to trust so many white people mm. to free yeah. so many slaves. Yeah. And I don't know how she did that. She literally had to trust people with her life, white yeah. people with her life. Because there were no slaves who could help her do that. God, there weren't a, slaves a good point. who could help her do that. So when she landed in farmyards or, you know, faced yeah. someone who could have turned her in, whatever it was, she had to trust that they said who they said they were and, and that they weren't going to take her and turn her in or give her back to the owner, her owner. Yeah. So I just think of her all the time and I think, if she could give that kind of trust. And I think of all those people. I think of Frederick Douglass walking into rooms full of white people and white men and trusting them, going to the White House and trusting that Lincoln would listen. All the things that Martin Luther King did, he had to trust white people as well. No right. one does this in a, in a vacuum. And so I think about that a lot. I think it, it would That's... only harm us to, to not do that. And as much as people, as much as Mark, um, Malcolm X said a lot of things about the relationship between whites and blacks, he also had white people who he had to trust in order to get things done. And that's just, and it's, and I don't mean that in a white savior way. I just right. mean that in we are all humans on this planet and we are in this country and this, and we are in this mess together. And yeah. there's no way that one race can pull us out of it. I can't save all white people. White people can't save all black people. Native Americans can't save us. Um, Asians can't save We all have to understand that we are dependent on one another, whether we want, want to be or not. And we are going to have to find ways to trust one another. And even with every white supremacist, white nationalist movement, as much as they want to say that they are independent of any other race but white, the very notion is ridiculous because you don't even know what product you're holding in your hand to protest that person's life right, um, right. that could have been made by a person of color. It's just so ludicrous to think that we don't need each other. We absolutely do. We need each other in a very integrated way, a very inclusive way. And until we get to that, there'll always be division. There just will You're be. right. You, and once again, you are just, you're so full of wisdom. You really are. I mean, just saying that, like that just, that helps so much. And that's what I want my white listeners to hear. We are part of this and the whole sitting back, just, it's not enough just to be not racist. Right. You're, there's not, the neutral area Jen Hatmaker's post was so good yesterday like this is this is a war and this is you can't be neutral you're on the side of the oppressor we know that if you are and your wisdom and just bringing up the history and that's what we're going to dive in today Um, just so many things and we got started before I even formally introduced you (laughs) but I will record pre-record an introduction and I will link up our first conversation that we had Marcy that was probably a year ago when, I don't know. I, I really, I don't know. Was it maybe, it was probably six to eight months ago, I'm guessing. I was going to look I don't this know. morning. It could be about a year ago. I, I kind of think it might I, be right. I think it kind of was, Marcy. And we've continued to stay in touch and talk oh, and was sure that. as heck hoping, we were sure as heck hoping to meet in person. And yeah. thanks to COVID and 2020, <laughs> that didn't happen. But yeah. one of these days we are. But I just, you have been such a dear soul to me and ugh, just your wisdom and and kindness is, has spoken to me so much, just even through own per, my own personal stuff. So I just want to thank oh, you for that. I appreciate and, that. And, and, and the sentiment goes both ways, but thank you for that. Well, and I think too, we bonded by, or at least I felt connected to you knowing you had a daughter. We have daughters the same age. Yeah, we do. Gra- graduating from high school. And I think just <sighs> your story, I saw yours graduates too, and we're still wrestling yeah. with like how to 
announce and what to do with all this because of the weird time and uh, so weird and her homeschooling and so that's even weirder and I'm like okay I, so I, I, don't, I don't know when to even announce this or what to do so that's a whole other yeah. ah. so yeah. but I think I really just I don't know I felt like kindred spirit with you about that but also knowing it's so different you're a black woman raising a black daughter and like you said today your daughter has a black boyfriend and yeah I'm a white mom with a white daughter and my world is so much different and so much easier and that's yeah. not lost on me. Mm -hmm. And I think huh, there's so many ways I could go with that. But I think of you often with, with this and raising girls in different spaces and how different that is for us in the same country. Thank you so much for that. Appreciate it. So let's talk. There's so when we scheduled today, I had no idea that we would be on the heels of another horrific event lynching in this country that we've had the last month. So many have come to light and you've known this and your black brothers and sisters have for centuries. Yeah. yeah. As a white woman, I'm just coming, I'm embarrassed to say, my eyes are just now being open to the level of atrocities and um, the depth of them. And so I think let's start out talking that to, about that today, but I don't want to be talking like, here, tell me as a white woman what to do, because there's right. enough resources out there. Right. Right. And right. I've had yeah. those resources on my show. We will talk about your history lessons. Their resources are out there. But I know one of the things that you had said in one of the blog posts, um, I'm going to find it because I've, I've printed off a lot of your stuff, Marcy, and I read over it and I'm just, oh, wow. it, it, it's, it sticks with me. It really That's does. Cool. And Thank I talk, you. and I talk about it with my 17 year old because she follows you too and it makes for a lot I of really that. but that's part of the work so that again quit asking what to do white friends like it's there and I will put links so one of the things that you said um, I'm often asked by white people what can I do to be honest I think deep down inside dear white friends you know what you can do you know you can read a book sign a petition speak up and out when your white family member or white co-worker makes a racist joke not vote for that racist politician find a more inclusive church enroll your kids in a more diverse school the list goes on but if we're all honest, our real question isn't what can I do, but what will it cost me? What will I have to give up and how much will it hurt? All I can say is that my blackness costs me everything, even your whiteness. So that really struck me, Marcy, and I just got chills again reading it. And that's my question to myself, like what's it going to cost me? Can you go into that just a little bit more about if white people are wondering what does she mean? What's it going to cost me? Like I know, I know a little, but there's so much there. So would you mind diving into that a little bit? Well, yeah, I think for me, one of the things is that I, I didn't know as much about African-American history until a few years ago. Um, I knew about as much as anyone learned in any school or any college campus. So I took one introduction to African-American history in, in college. It wasn't, you know, I, I'm, I'm old, I'm, I'm 51, so it wasn't. Which I can't even believe. <laughs> I mean, I'm 44, I'm old too, but totally you, you look like you're 10 years younger than me. But anyway, oh, going but it's, on. <laughs> it's funny because we didn't have all the books that we have now. There was no Black Lives Matter. There were no movements. That does not mean that there weren't, I should say, there weren't movements in the social media technology era that we're in. Right. Right. So there were movements, but they didn't spread as hot and fast as, as things can spread now with just the hashtag. Yes. And so when I was in college learning about Black history, it was a very individual and very personal lesson. It wasn't a, a call to social justice. It was just a call for me to know my heritage. And that was right. it. And so being an African-American person in this day and time, we too are called to step up, speak up, do things. The difference between us as black people and white and white people, especially black women and white women, is that for us the cost there there is no other way to move about your life without paying attention to these things. There's just I don't know how I'm sure it's out there, but I don't know how authentically you can live in today's world without that acknowledgement. However, if you're a white person, you can, you can walk away from race yeah. and decide not to engage in it. You can live in a neighborhood where there are no black people. That's 
everywhere. You can enroll your child in a school where there are very few children of color and not even with any real intention. You can shop in a grocery store and never have to ask a person of a different race for help. You can do all, you can live a life never having having to confront our racial history in this country Uh. and, and not be a racist, but also not be um, anti-racist, just be completely neutral. You're so spot on with that, that we have that privilege. Um, Yeah. 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 And, and as a black person, I take, I take on that privilege too. I was able to, because I have, I didn't get my college degree, but I went to school for four years. So I have a college education. I speak the Queen's English, so Mm -hmm. to speak. I speak Mm -hmm. properly, um, whatever that means. I look a certain way. And for a while, I was even the right shape and size Mm -hmm. that was acceptable to culture. So I was very culturally normative as a Black person, which gave me entrance to a lot of... I I worshipped the God that was preferred in this country. There's just so many privileges that, as a Black person, that I had that people in my own family don't have. And so when I decided that I wanted my daughter to go to a different school or a better school, I was able to pay for it and to put her there. And then when that school didn't work out, I was able to take her out and find a neighborhood that had the best school, the best public school. Not every person can do that. And I think I look at it all now and I, and I think I made I made decisions based on who I know my child to be, what I felt she needed. But if I had it to do all over again, I would have had more foresight into some of the choices that I made. Like, I never noticed when I chose my daughter's first school, her first private school, I didn't even think of the fact that there weren't, there weren't other Black parents Mm, or or very few black children. I think for one, I was kind of lulled to sleep because it was a Christian school. So I figured it was safe that they would be open. Nothing could have been further from the truth. And I also believed that my own blackness was enough to carry us through. it, It didn't occur to me to look at the books that they were reading to see how many people of color, how many women were they reading in their who, who was writing their curricula. It didn't occur to me to look at any of those things. But I have a white friend, and that's exactly what she thought of when she was picking schools for her children. Mm. She went to the same schools that I was looking at, and she said, oh, no, my, my kid can't go here because it's not diverse enough. Where are your teachers? Where are the other students of color? And she was a white woman with that's a what white, I was gonna say. So white that's, children. That's not the norm, norm for at all. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. So that is unusual, but that is... Very unusual, but a very powerful thing for her yeah, to do. Yeah, absolutely. Considering that she has the ability to send her kid anywhere. She, had, yeah. she really did, but she chose not to. And so I think she realized what it would cost her. Yeah. You know, and we, don't, and we don't mean money for a more expensive no, school. We, we don't mean money. It might cost you, for instance, it might cost you having to have your child know someone who believes differently than they do. Yeah. For a lot of Christian parents, that's very hard for them to wrap their mind around. But yes. I will tell you that my daughter has felt more faith in the faithfulness of her friends who are not Christian than she has in her friends who are Christian. I would raise my hand and agree with you there, yeah. um, which has been so yeah. eye-opening for me. And yeah. we've talked before, living in the Bible Belt, where there's right. a lot. You're in Texas. I'm in Oklahoma. A lot of, quote, Christians. And, yeah, their, yeah. Their, their faith isn't an after-school activity. It isn't mm-hmm. a Sunday service to get service points for college. It is yeah. a faith that they're living that's a lot of times born out of a lot of struggle. And so when her friends who are Muslim and Hindu, um, even her friends who are atheists, their faithfulness comes, it's hard won, you know, in a different way and very personal to them. Mm -hmm. It's not, well, this is because what my parents believe. 
Mm-hmm. You know? So, Marcy, going back to that, I just, I want you to be, like, straight up honest with me. You're not going to be too harsh. But if we were really sitting down, having black coffee, I'm your white friend. <laughs> <laughs> you tell me, listen, here's what you need. Not, And I don't mean, like, tailor it to Andrea, but as a white friend, you know what? You need to look at giving this up because white privilege, all of that is a thing. There's mm-hmm. a lot of Karens walking around. Yeah. And if you wanted to shoot me straight with look, because I'm working on it and it's uncomfortable. But if you were going to have an honest conversation with a white friend about, you know what? We need allies and you might need to give this up. If I, I, if I were having that conversation, I would say it, it's really bred in the church. Yeah. You're going to have to give up your idea of what you believe church should be mm-hmm. and what you believe holiness is. Uh, that's what I would say. I would say that's you're going to have to give up the belief that God, that you're blessed because you've had enough quiet time mm-hmm. and that your children are safe because you've prayed for them. You're going to have to give up the idea that your tithe is what has made you wealthy. And you're going to have to give up the idea that the people that you serve in missions makes your, your faith diverse. I would say that it has to be those things. And I think that that's, that's hard. That, I think that's one of the harder things for most of my white Christian friends. You're going to have to give up the, the fact that pro-life is more than abortion. Mm, yep. And you're going to have to give up the fact that Republican does not equal Jesus. Neither does Democrat or liberal. And so I think because the the divisions that come from the church, I think they've hurt a lot of Black people over the last few years, of course, are that we have a leader right now who does not care for Black life. And we've said it from the beginning, and we've watched people that we love vote for that leader. And that's painful. That's really, really painful. And I know that that's, I don't generally get too political, but if I have to wake up next week to another young man or young woman dying under this administration and with so many Black people dying in, in, in larger numbers from COVID because so many of us are essential workers because we are the ones in Amazon packing those boxes or working in sanitary positions or in service positions and we don't have protection and they, we can't stay home and shelter because we have to work. I, I don't think we can get around it anymore. I don't think that I could sit with a friend and not talk about those things if they came up. It's not what I want to talk about over coffee. No, I, I you know? agree. And <laughs> but I, if it comes up, I absolutely would have to ask, well, what does your vote cost me? You know, because I, I was in a, a situation when Trump was first running in 2016. I was in a prayer group with a bunch of women at this school that my daughter was attending. It's a very conservative school. And one of my friends said, I just don't know. What are we going to do? Who do we vote for? She's like, I don't, I don't like either candidate. I don't know what to do. I don't think I'm going to vote this year. And we were really all perplexed. And one woman said, a lovely woman, you know, someone who's been kind to me wasn't wasn't that she'd ever been mean or right. And she said, I'm voting for the unborn baby. And I remember just thinking, I was so stunned by it. And this is something my daughter and I talk about all the time. We're sensitive people. So we, we never know what to say when we're in the moment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm, I'm a processor, which is why I'm a writer. But um, I remember just thinking, well, what about what what about the lives now? Yeah. What about the born lives now where we send our kids on mission trips in our country and in our state? We had these state mission trips to serve those lives. Are, are you going to vote for them? And so... And I think that goes right back to what you said, what it's going to cost you. And that's changing, right. changing that you're thinking, your way of thinking with that. And I, I have, me and my daughter have had a lot of conversations about the pro-life, pro-choice. And I've always, because I was not as knowledgeable and aware of things, always thought, well, if I'm a Christian, I just have to vote pro-life. 
Mm-hmm. And again, living in the Bible Belt and the Trump presidency has changed everything right. for me. Um, and that's the convers- The more people I'm around that are just staunch Trump supporters because they're pro-life, right. I, I'm just more and more, me and my daughter, like I said, the conversations I'm having with her are like, yeah, I, I am essentially pro-life, but I'm voting for people that are not just pro-unborn life, that are right. pro-all lives and pro these mother's lives and services for these moms and why so anyway we don't have to get on the abortion topic lord um well and it doesn't it doesn't even have to be abortion when we say pro-life because my thing is okay pro-life is also the life of um chrissy blase ford and the life of brett kavanaugh what what's correct for their lives yeah right what's correct for her life and her truth and what's correct for his life and his truth. And in my opinion, I don't think that's a nomination to the Supreme Court. I think what that is, is the cost of saying, because this is a fact of my past and because this woman has stepped forward, I have to rethink who do I want to be in the, in the Supreme Court yeah. Do I want someone with questionable strikes against them? Or do I want someone whose integrity I can, I can totally back? That's pro-life too, because we have to care about the lives of women who step forward and say that they've been through these things. Yeah. And we can't demonize them and say, yeah, that happened, but you don't remember and you don't know. And he's a good guy. We, we just can't do this. We have to we have to be for these women as if they were our own bodies and our own daughters. And yeah. we have to be that way with every child at the border inside of a cage. Yes. No matter how big. And that's not just under Trump's administration. That's under any administration, right. any administration. And when people bring up the Obama administration and what we didn't know or what was or what wasn't, it doesn't negate the lives of the people. It just can't. And so that's why I say we can't put the church, the political gains of the church before our following Christ. That's right. And that's That's just the way it is. And that means a lot of things that feel radical, but we have to remember we serve and follow a man who was radical. Yes, you're he right. He was not passive. He was not. He flipped tables and he was, a, he was a brown body. He cared about justice. He cared about the oppressed. He cared about those on the margins. I mean, that's why as even white people, we're called. We're called to give up and get uncomfortable and get involved in this if we are truly are Jesus followers. Right. But we also, in a lot of times, we, we want to hang out in the Old Testament. But even in the Old Testament, we have to remember Moses was radical. Yeah. It, it was quite a thing to go into Pharaoh and say, I'm going to take these people, mm. right? It was so radical, just because I, just in case there's some people out there who might want to push back on that, it was so radical that those stories were removed from slave Bibles. There's yeah. so many things we could talk about. I was, right. I did a, I did a, a class with Maisha last week, learned and heard more about the slave Bible. I'm like, I, there's so many things. Right. That's white people need to start reading, reading all these things and learning. And you are a great resource that we will, there's so many. And again, I'll link them up, but I know another thing that you're passionate about, and that's a perfect example of what you just shared, but reading the stories, reading stories by black women and black right. men and about right. them. And right. I think that's also why we're a little bit kindred spirits because I have a passion for stories too. They've changed me. And when right. you start reading stories about people that look different from you, mm-hmm. it changes you. Right. And we'll link up the article that you took so much time to list all the books, which Thank you for that, because you are an avid reader, as am I, and you list everything, so many, but not everything, a lot Mm -hmm. for people to dig into. Tell me a little bit about your book club also, because I know you started that, and that's another great chance for white listeners to learn. Well, the book club came out of Ahmaud Aubrey's death, and then right on that, Breonna Taylor's death. And I think the thing that I kept getting asked was, you know, well, what can we do? And when I posted about Ahmaud's death, I had a lot of, I had some pushback. I had some, some 
conservative people who were very upset because I, I said that his death is the result of a history of ignoring race in our country. Is that, was and that we, your list of here's what I know? The six yeah. Things, yeah. Uh, and which was some of incredible. those things were, um, you know, that we still in this country, Confederate flags mm-hmm. are not illegal mm-hmm. and Confederate monuments exist. Mm-hmm. And there is no other country that you can go to and say um, there was a war and the people who lost <laughs> are celebrated and there are holidays for them. Um, The people who rebelled against the unification of that country are heroes and we named children after them. There's no other country, just here. And we would be appalled if we went to Germany and saw Nazi generals who had statues. Mm, You're right, yes. We just wouldn't put up with it. Mm. We would be appalled and we would would not think so kindly of Germany or if they they did that in England where a lot of the war was fought as well. So going real quick, I... So I did ask about the book club, but you brought up, and we'll go back, we will talk about that. But you brought up your list, which... It was hard. I mean, if, if for it was, it's hard for white people because it's uncomfortable, but it's all true. And I know I've read it. I actually have your list in front of me here, but I read it a couple times. I shared it and I know it left a lot of white people a little bit uncomfortable, speechless, not knowing what to say. And some of the things, like you said, the Confederate, he's dead because the Confederate flag can be a hat, a bumper sticker, a t-shirt, a blanket. He's dead because plantations are wedding venues. He's dead because thousands can cheer us under back. He's dead because George Zimmerman is free. He's dead because make America great again is a slogan. Isn't a slogan, but a weapon. And you list 16 things and I'll put a link to that too. But then again, here we are again with another dead black man. And it all Mm -hmm. goes back to these things. And that's hard, but it's true. But it's it's really hard. Yeah, and it is true. And I I wish that it weren't true, but but it is true. It's very true. I um was in my Bible study group and we were asked to name, name someone that you'd like to have dinner with. It was like our mm-hmm. opening question. And, and someone in my group said, Thomas Jefferson. Mm-hmm. And I was stunned. Mm-hmm. And, and I was stunned because, and then to be fair to the group, someone else said, well, I would choose Martin Luther King, trying to, trying to soften that up. But the truth of the matter is, I was exhausted. I, I couldn't even address it because yeah. it wasn't the first time that the person had said something that, that hit me wrong. But it was that idea that we've romanticized. I'm like, well, who would serve that dinner? Slaves? <laughs> you know? I'm just, yeah. It's yes. that romantic idea of a plantation because, and it's romanticized because of the lost cause and movies like Gone with the Wind. Yeah. And we look at those characters and we, we forget the reason that they're in mourning throughout the whole of Gone with the Wind, my daughter and I recently just watched it again. Her deep mourning is because she wanted to marry this prestigious family. And then when the war happens, they're not mourning anything other than their way of life built on the backs of human beings is gone. And there's this montage where it shows Scarlett just, she's slaving, literally, that's what she says, in the field. (laughs) Because there are no slaves, because the rewards freed them. And we don't really think about that when we're watching the movie. What she's doing is she's showing, well, white women shouldn't be out here slaving. We should go back to the way things were, where the black people were out here slaving you know this makes no sense and then there's even a scene in the movie where she gets attacked and her husband and a few other men go take care of the attackers which is basically they go into this place where black people are hiding out because there's no place for them to go they have no land and they're not on the plantations because they've been freed but they don't make it that they had nowhere to go because the government didn't provide they make it that they're just out and shifty because they're not working and they have no purpose. So they're just going to attack white women like Scarlett. And so they go out and they take care of the man who attacked them, which is a lynching. Yeah, It doesn't happen on screen, but that's exactly what the movie is about. And it's about building the South again. And we don't, we don't, think about it. We think of the costumes and, oh, she's so funny. And, you know, but we don't think about, and even the slaves that she has with her are, one of them is she smacks her a few times. So there's like, 
there's a lot of problems with that movie. But we, I've heard many women, especially living in Texas, tell me that that's their favorite movie. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, well, I don't know how to have conversations. It, it was yeah. a book that my school chose for yeah. summer reading. My daughter didn't read it, but it was one of the ones on the list, Gone with the Wind. Don't you think right there is, though, just the perfect, in a nutshell, example of what we do with American history? Yeah, exactly. That's I mean, what we do with the yeah, history. We whitewash it and make it look pretty right. and white people are suffering. And The sad part about it, really, is that there are truly beautiful, hard stories, but they're beautiful stories that are hard, that are worth our attention. And yet the story of Ruby Sells is one that comes to mind for me. She she was an African-American teenager, young woman who was freedom writer, and she was on the bus going to a protest, I believe. I might be getting this part of the story wrong, but they had to stop and they went into a store, she and a young white man, and I believe he was a pastor, but he was young. And some white supremacists came in and they were going to shoot her, but the white man jumped in front of her and he died in her place. But we don't know that story. Right. But guarantee you most Southern children have heard of Scarlett Johansson, but they haven't heard of Ruby Sales. And that's a much more beautiful story. Is it a harder story? Yes, because it's the truth. And the truth, that the truthfulness of that story is what sets us free. It is yeah. the thing that gives us freedom to express our grief and our anguish and our pain and to rejoice in our humanity because That was a very, very generous, human, loving thing that he did, right? And that she continues to work. I mean, I don't even know how old Ruby Sales is. I was just looking how old she is. She's she's still, yeah. And she's still working and speaking. She didn't let his death go in vain. And I think that's so much more of a beautiful story. No, there's no beautiful petticoats and there's no ribbons tying it up. There's, but there's blood and there's tears and there's beauty in that. And we right. need to tell those stories. We need to, our children need to hear, they should know those names. And that's why, you know? again, it goes back to doing the work. It's not easy what's just put in front of you. It is digging and reading and doing the work and learning the stories. Right. So that, that gets me back to your book club. I totally, <laughs> totally diverted you. Right, so I your, did myself too. <laughs> your, book, your book club was birthed out of after Ahmaud Arbery and you had that post and yeah, you take it from there. And so I was really wanting to do something more to, to give people something to do because you get, what ends up happening is I, I will get a lot of DMs. I will get a lot of comments on what to do. I didn't want, I don't mind that. But what I do mind is that I didn't want next week to be different. Right. For next week for us to just return back to our status quo of, right. of what, what our lives were before we knew his name. And so we, I didn't want us to say his name one week and then never speak it again for years. And right. so I thought, well, what about a book club? Because reading a book is the easiest thing. It's, it's so low risk. You risk nothing in reading a book. Even a book where, that you hate the characters and you disagree. Yeah. <laughs> yep. We've all done it. If you've gone to school at the right. a book that you hated, you right. I wasn't gonna choose books that people would hate, hopefully. Right. So um I chose the book Ghost. So I set up a, a Goodreads book club. It's called Black Coffee White Friends, Cream and Sugar book club. And so our first book is Ghost Boys by Jewel Parker Rhodes. And it's a story told from the point of view of a boy who's been shot by the police. He's a 12-year-old boy. And I think we needed to hear that voice. Even if it was a fictionalized voice, we needed to hear the voice of the dead. And along the way, he meets Emmett Till. Um, And for those that don't know that story, Emmett Till was a lynched young boy during the Jim Crow South days. And his mother had an open casket for his funeral because she wanted the world to see what had been done to her child. Mm -hmm. And it's horrific. You can look up the pictures. Yeah. Um, And she went on and did a lot of work with social justice and the civil rights movement. So, but we don't learn that. We think that these things just happened and that was the end of it. But she spent the rest of her life fighting for justice, as does Ruby Bridges. So many people that we don't realize 
to this day still are working in social justice movement who are alive from the 50s and 60s. And, and we don't have all their stories and our kids don't know all those stories. They, and it's just, because we don't. I yeah. mean, that's what your passion is, educating adults so that we can teach our children. Yeah, it's interesting. Right now, something that's happening in the Native American community, another community that we need those stories so desperately. Mm-hmm. I don't often feel that I'm the right person to, to tell all those stories because I'm not Native American. Right. But I do like to point people to those stories, to people who are telling them. But one of the things that is happening in their community right now is that if COVID-19 is killing senior citizens, then it's killing their elders. And with the elders being killed, those stories get killed. There's a growing concern about how those elders uphold the community and the loss is different than for us. The way that we treat our elders in normative culture, right? White norm culture. We don't, they don't hold positions of power, except if you're the president. (laughs) But I mean, in in general community, they're not, they're not the principals of school. They're not the pastors, you know, that's not, they're not the ones that we follow. They're not the social media people. Usually the older person gets in our country in popular culture, the less viable and the less important they become to younger generations, right? Right. But that's not true in the Native American community. And so we're losing stories. And so it's important that we hear all these stories, not just from Black communities, but also from Native American communities and Jewish communities, Irish communities, Italian communities, because these were all communities that were deemed less than when they first came into this country. And we need to know them. And I I think think it's hard for us to fathom that there was a time that Italians or an Irish man would have been seen as less than white. They had to make some concessions some agreements and compliances in order to be considered white. And one of the compliances that they had to make was to hate black people, you know, (laughs) because that, that was one of the surest ways that you could be considered white was to make sure that you were furthest away from being black. And it still happens in this country. It even happens with African communities. When African immigrants come over, a lot of times they don't want a lot to do with the African-American community because they don't want to be seen as social pariah, right? They want to be set apart. There's so many layers. I mean, it's so so deep. And I know, I mean, going back to your statement and you said America... And this is that heart, the quote, harsh post that you made about with the 16 things, why Ahmaud Arbery is dead. But you said Ahmaud Arbery is dead because America is racist to its core, rotten with hate. And that's hard. But if you really start digging in the history like you do on Mockingbird, it is. And we've been blind to it for so long. Yeah. And And I think we have to not be frightened of that. And that's I think that's point. why we, we have no time for fear and we have no time for shame because it's the shame and the fear that keeps us from wanting to acknowledge it. And if we acknowledge right. it, if we're able to say, it's kind of like being in an abusive marriage. I've used this analogy before. You cannot heal the abuse if you keep saying that the abuser is not abusive. And so you can't heal that marriage. You can cover it up. And you can, you can shackle up the, the black eyes and the broken ribs and all that, but you can't heal it until the abuser is willing to say, I'm an abuser and I need help. And uh, the person being abused is willing to say, yes, you do. And this is what you've done to me, right? Yeah. But what we have going on in our country right now is a lot of, there's no abuse. Or, yeah, I decked you. But that was ages ago, and you can hardly see it now. Yeah. Yeah. You can't see the scar. But the truth of the matter is it happened, and we need to, we need to acknowledge it because history is continuing to repeat itself. And um, that was your Mockingbird post today. You talked yeah. about the lynchings and history repeating itself. And I look at that, and I think, well, yes, don't people know this? But there's so many that don't. I look at my white friends on social media that have started sharing things, and all the white people comments about 
just like it's not racism or I mean it just blows my right. mind the still the mindset I mean it's it's so sad and frustrating and the only way it's going to change is like you said acknowledging these stories acknowledging our history lamenting right. moving forward and when I say doing better gosh that just sounds so trivial I don't even know what I say with that learning yeah it's it's doing better and i think teaching our kids i mean when i i know i shared with you that yesterday i started reading ghost boys with my 11 year old and i was shocked how much she didn't know and i had i've had a parent fail there i was wait you you're not aware of like the term lynching you're not aware like 11 she was clueless and and that's not all (sighs) you That's also the fault of a, of a public education system that doesn't. It, it is, but again, I, I yeah. should be, I mean, she's been in public school and private school, all of it, kind of like your daughter, I've, she's done yeah. it all. But I really think it wasn't until the last year and a half, two years that I've become more, more aware of curriculum and what, yeah. but. But that's, but that's not just you. What I'm saying yeah. in that is that if you feel that way, it's because that's what's happening. Mm-hmm. You can't, we can't hold ourselves accountable for what wasn't there. I mean, there was a time that there there just wasn't a lot out there for us to know these things. And now there is more. Right. So we can't beat ourselves up for what wasn't. I was raised, my parents sent me to school like like every other parent sent their kids to school. And you left the education up to the the teachers. Yeah. You you didn't get involved in that. My parents didn't get involved in our education. Right. And what the teacher said went and you knew it. You were told. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Listen to the teacher and you do what that teacher says. You didn't question. We weren't raised that way. And so we can't blame ourselves for that system. But that's a system of oppression. That there's a reason that the school system was set up like that. A lot of it goes back to the days of segregation. You know, we we have to now challenge what through technology, social media, this millennial generation that is will not shut up or stop, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and and our daughter's generation because they they're just not having it. Yeah. <laughs> so, I know I have so much hope. I know a lot of people don't, right. but I have so much hope in our oh, daughter's they're not generation. having it. They are not. And so I look at it and I think, yeah, we can beat ourselves up for what I didn't. There's a lot that I didn't know as a black mom that I needed to be teaching my daughter because my parents did not talk about race in a black household. So because we were told, we were told who to be careful, what neighborhoods not to go to, who not to date. Um, We were warned about race, but we weren't taught about race. So that's different. Yeah. And so now that we have all these resources in social media and is a big part of that. We can do better. We don't have to continue to, that is something that it might cost you. It might cost you your time. Cause yeah. that's something that a lot of, it's easier to pick a school and put your kid there and pray that they're safe yeah. and that they're, they're getting everything that they need to learn. But the truth of the matter is that you need to start Thinking of your kid not just getting into the college of their choice or the profession of their choice, but start thinking, what do I want my kid to know so that they're able to love all humanity? That's powerful. And so, and as if you're Christian, you absolutely need to be thinking about that. And if your school that your child is at has no representation of all humanity because you can be a homogenous school. I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. You can be a homogenous school and a homogenous community because a lot of, a lot of us are stuck with that. Right. But how does that school system, that school board work within that homogeny? Right. Do they partner with other schools that don't look like them? Do they bring in speakers that don't look like them? Do they choose books by authors who are not like them? Yeah. Or does the curriculum look like them? The board look like them? The people even feeding the kids in the cafeteria? Does every inch of the place look just like them? Yeah. Except with only a couple of exceptions. Well, And that's where you have to ask, how can my child possibly learn to love all people if they don't even see all people? Right. That's good. That's so good. And your church. There's so many. And your church. Yeah. Absolutely. 
So going back, and I know I, I could talk. I could talk to you all morning, Marcy, but I don't. I know you've got lots. You've got lots of emails to answer. I do. I do. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> um, but I want to talk about mockingbird history lessons because that is your passion. We talked about it, it in our last episode. Why you started that? In a nutshell, your daughter was asking school to do the slave debates, and that was outrageous. And kids are still asked to do that today. And you knew there had to be reform in history. And what, right. what we're right. taught, what our kids are taught, and you have a passion for teaching adults so that they teach their children. And I've been subscribing to your history lessons, and it's been very impactful and very impactful is what I bring up with my girls. So tell me what your goal is with that, where it's headed, where people can find that, all of that. Because I know you need supporters. And we said, you know, this isn't going to cost, doesn't cost money, but I guess part of the cost is money. Because to yeah. learn people like you and Maisha, who I had on last week, this is is time to write these resources and to give people the opportunity to learn and you need to be paid for that and things cost money to publish and do so you have a uh, on patreon subscription levels that start at very low a dollar a month and go up to I'm not sure 20 maybe I think it's just 15 is it 15 yeah. okay mm -hmm. so Tell me what your goal is, ultimate goal is with that and where that's heading. Well, I'll start out with, it's called Mockingbird History Lessons for Adults. Um, my initial idea was to do history lessons strictly for children, but then I realized that, well, that's silly. I'm going to give these adults history lessons for children, but it's going to be history that maybe they didn't even learn. Yep. So maybe let's start with the adult and maybe as a community, um, Patreon, which is a platform where you support just like in the old days, um, you become a patron of a certain artist or writer to support their project. And so I decided to do history lessons for adults in hopes that I would get enough adults supporting the work that that funding could help create curricula for children at all levels. So starting at pre-K and going through high school. Right now, and it would be like a seasonal thing, like they would, there would be a fall curriculum and a, a spring, summer, winter curriculum where each week the kids would get a lesson based on whatever level they're at. And, but the history would start from the idea that first and foremost, in order for kids to understand history, they have to understand that the question throughout history is who in our historical narrative is, is considered human. And if we, if we don't look at that, if we don't acknowledge that, then we're just learning dates and figures and events because we have to learn the mentality behind it. So when Abraham Lincoln wrote the Emancipation Proclamation, we have to understand that at that time, he was only maybe 50, 60% sure that black people were human. Right. And a lot of why the Emancipation Proclamation was written was to benefit the North for winning the yes. war. Yes. And so it doesn't mean that Lincoln wasn't a great leader or that he wasn't a great person or that he wasn't even loving. It just means that we have to understand the mentality of the time. And I don't mean that in something that I hate to hear. He was a man of his time. <laughs> hate that. Mm -hmm. But we have to understand who was human at that time. Black people were not. They were still property. And that was up for debate at that time. And so, you know, we have to go back to the Mayflower and when the first people landed at the shore to the first colonizers landed to colonize. We have to understand that Native Americans weren't people. They were as much a threat as too many trees in the forest or wild animals. And that's why there's a stigma of savagery often attached to Native Americans, that this was something that had to be rid of. And so we have to understand these things. We have to understand that when the Chinese Exclusion Act was put into place, it was because of all the prosperity that was happening and with the railroads and all the job prosperity that there were people who didn't believe that Chinese people should have those jobs and therefore because they weren't as human as white people. And so we have to continue to look at that one question, who's human in this story and why are they not considered human?
statement. And I think what that does is it a lot, a lot more stories for us. And so that's the, the, the really the narrative of the whole of Mockingbird History Lessons for Adults and the goal of creating a curriculum that surrounds that question. Because if we can start at a very young age teaching children to see humanity in its fullness, they'll be able to understand the injustice of history and the justice in history, and therefore, hopefully, not make the same mistakes that have been made throughout history. Right, right. Um, Because today we're living history. We don't believe it, but we are. And one of the histories that we're believing is that for decades, lynching was legal. There was no ban on lynching. There was no, no, there was nothing to stop people from doing it. And often it happened on church property. Is that right? And often it happened on church property. Yeah. And the reason why it happened on church property, and we as Christians need to hear this, Mm -hmm. is because we did not believe that these men were human. Yeah. And so we have to we have to just be honest about those things. So with kids, of course, we don't start with lynching. You know? Well, well I we did do, yesterday. Well, no. well that's, a, that's an older child. But I'm I know, with, I'm just with a, yeah, with a three or four year old, we're not right. starting with what we're starting with is just them humanity. History is them seeing the present moment. Yeah. Who's human. Yeah. Right. And being able to see pictures of history and decide who's human in it so that when they start to learn about slavery, we're not tempted to to wash it away by saying, well, the founding fathers were good, like good to their slaves and they treated right. them really well. And they, they did were- the best in that time era, that time yeah. period. They like, did the best that they could have been tight time error. Right. And the slaves wanted to be there. Mm, yeah, there's so. Oh. Because that's what we do. Because rather than acknowledge the fact that, man, our founding fathers were so wrong. Everyone should have been human. Yeah. And, and that, doesn't, that doesn't negate any of the good things that were done. It just... Why is that so hard for us? I don't Such know. Such white people. I don't, I don't get it. Like, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. And I think what it is is because it might point to what it it might point to who you have to vote for Mm -hmm. today if you acknowledge that. You can't I'm sorry to say, but if you acknowledge that what the founding fathers said and wrote, and many of them wrote some vile things about black people. They did. Including Thomas Jefferson and did vile things. Yeah to dehumanize them. If you acknowledge that, then you have to acknowledge things that this president is doing to dehumanize. Very good point. Life. Very good point. And I think evangelical white Christians especially don't like to be uncomfortable. And that's an uncomfortable place to be in. It is. And so... And it, I understand that. I need people to understand. I go to a, a predominantly white church that is 50-50 as far as the political breakdown. I have family members that I love and who love me, who voted for Trump or would vote for Trump, you know? Same, and, yep. And it's, <laughs> it doesn't, and it, it's complicated. And we have to be able to live in the tension of, of that complication. Jesus did it all the time. So when people say, oh, you, it can't be that, I'm like, listen, Peter was a knucklehead. Jesus loved him anyway. Yes. And trusted him to build his church. He didn't get it. He didn't understand it. And we have to understand that that crazy group of disciples that he gathered couldn't have been more politically diverse, you know? I mean, you have these whining men whining about the women who are having more access to Jesus and the children having more access to (sighs) Jesus. And that's not much different than who we are today. So So I think that we have to be willing to hold the tension. But the thing of it is, is that when you start learning about history, you start learning about it's harder to vote (laughs) to cast a vote for anyone who doesn't acknowledge that history and i need for i just need because because it really will cost you nothing to hear me because you can can go away from this conversation and call me crazy um follow me and i never have to know it i don't know your name or your face but i need you to know that our president is completely prejudiced yeah i need to hear it And that doesn't mean that I wish him ill or you should wish him ill or anyone should wish him to fail. We need him to succeed, but he can't succeed as long as he doesn't see every human being as being equal. 
That's right. And he does not. And I'm going to tell you, he doesn't because he's awarded a known racist with a congressional medal. Mm. Right? Mm-hmm. He doesn't because he didn't even know Frederick Douglass wasn't alive. And he doesn't because he has said that there are good people on both sides. <laughs> yeah. Of yeah. a racist white supremacist protest. And if you can handle those things and cast your vote, then have at it. But right. understand that there are a lot of people who can't do that and you should not demonize them for it. That's right. That's right. And there's, we're going to have another conversation, Marcy, when we get closer to the heat of election time. Because even though no. you don't want to talk politics. I don't. But There I, you go, girl. I'm not stopping you. <laughs> people are dying. Yeah. And, I, and, yes. I, and I have to, I just have to say th- that it's become that. And also, if you look back in history, and I want everyone to go do this today, a lot of people have wondered, well, what's going to happen after this pandemic is over? Well, the good news and bad news is that in the past, for there's an upswing in the economy after a pandemic. That's why we have the roaring 20s. There was mm-hmm. this huge pandemic and a war and people were so sick and tired of being sick and tired that the very first thing that they did was party party so hard that there had to be a prohibition act (laughs) to to try to manage that like you know and there was a lot of technological and industrial boom where people were making loads of money right so we have these families that are making loads of money And that's like that whole glitz and glamour of that great Gatsby, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But also during that time, there was a lot, I cannot express to you how much, a lot of riot and massacre against Black people and Black communities. Mm -hmm. Lynchings went up. And is that what we should Google? Because I'm not going to ask you why. Is that what we should be looking up today? Yeah, Google, just Google... Google a timetable of all the massacre and riots okay. through, the ni- through the late 1900s all the way through the 60s okay. of whole towns and communities. That's what the Tulsa um, Race uh, massacre. Massacre, was, yeah. the massacre was all about. And then also, and that happened because while wealthy people were getting wealthier and wealthier, there were poor white people who had no jobs. There were rural communities wiped out from famine wiped out from pandemic. And so we see people protesting from these rural communities with with guns. Believe me, we should be worried. And I don't say that to be fear mongering. I say that to be realistic, that there are people hurting. And when white people are hurting because the American dream hasn't been true for them, they protest with guns and they go after minorities and we have to look at that we have to recognize that that's been the history and so um and just you saying that i did not correlate that with part of the reasoning for the tulsa race massacre because that was 1921 yeah they took out that community because it was the black wall street right and it was flourishing and it was flourishing and there were white people without jobs yeah and they came in and they did the same thing with rosewood they, yes. they did it all throughout all throughout the country this was happening. Wow. And so there was a lot of division and distress. And when you talk to young people who are not just conservative but, but far on the far side of conservativeism and who are chanting, you know, lock her up and yeah. and make America great again and showing up with guns. <sighs> It is because there's a dream that's been taken from them, that they feel has been taken from them, and they feel that the threat right now is at the Mexican border. You're right. They feel very threatened. Is that we had a black president. There's no there there for them, and they have to blame someone, and the blame can't be that the American dream hasn't worked for many people. Right. But it, it has to be that the American dream doesn't work because of these people. They're not going to blame the people in office and say that the American dream doesn't work because of policy. They're going to say it's because these people are taking our jobs, our jobs are going overseas. And, you know, and the church has to has to be a little bit more bold with that. Not even a little bit, a lot more bold. Absolutely. With how we love young white men who have no identity other than being American. And that's another truth that we have to look at. 
because if a if a young white boy has had a hard life, and you and you can go look up these stories too, a lot of the men who become white nationalists who get involved in those organizations are broken young white boys from broken families of abuse a lot of the time. And the first family that invites them to sit down at the table and tells them that you have an identity and your identity is your whiteness and your mm. right to be mad. Well, then they've won them forever. Yeah. I think we did talk a little bit about that in our last yeah. conversation. And that's powerful and something we need to think about too. And, it, and it's something because the church is elitist at times. We don't want to deal with the people from the other side of the track. Right. We don't want to, we rather save, go do missions in other countries, which is fine. I'm not putting that down, but we also have to do the missionary work of right. loving these kids that are dying of opiate overdoses. These, these right. kids that are in Appalachia mountains, these kids that have really no hope. And so it's so easy for them to get swept up in a present that says you have value and it's more than that person of that color. And when he says, send her back about these African-American women and women of color who are serving, that's exactly the way that they hear it. Even if he didn't mean it that way, that's how they're hearing it. And so we have to be honest about that and get really real about that and about our history. I'm sorry, right. I'm ranting. <laughs> no, I feel bad because I'm taking your time. I could listen to you all day, Marcy. Well, but I, I, yeah. I am going to, I want to be respectful of your time and what yeah. you just said about history. I mean, that is what it's coming back to. And that's what I'm asking my listeners to go look at Mockingbird History Lessons. We'll put the link to it and become a Patreon subscriber of yours. I'm not, I don't do Patreon. I've not ever, I mean, I don't personally have a Patreon account for my listeners and I don't plan to. And I just, I want to steer them to you. Oh, like, I appreciate if, it. If anybody wants to support me on Patreon, it's not there. So go support Mock, uh, Marcy and Mockingbird History Lessons and read and learn and educate yourself. I mean, I you're passionate about your work, but I am too, because this is what this is what America needs. And I we have children and we want this to be a right. better place for them and a safe place. And we don't want every week to be hearing these stories of no. more lynchings and deaths and Ah, okay, I'm going to stop too, Marcy. We got to yeah. end it. We got to end it right now. Okay, we'll put the links to everything, Marcy, that Thank you talked you. about. I, I just, I, I really, I love you, friend, and your voice and your wisdom. I appreciate, appreciate it's not even a strong enough word. I just really cherish your time and your wisdom, Aww, Marcy. And I cherish you too. Ah, Thank you for this opportunity. Absolutely. I know today's conversation may have been a hard one for you and perhaps challenged some of your deeply held beliefs and narratives. I encourage you to lean into that and start your own journey with dismantling racism and how it plays out in your own life. Look up the topics and people Marcy mentioned and start doing the work to learn the missing and unheard stories in this country. I know this is not easy or comfortable work, but it's necessary if we truly want to heal and change our country. Marcy and I mentioned a lot of lists and links in this episode, and they'll all be linked up at HerStorySpeaks.com. There you'll also find the link to the Mockingbird History Lessons and the Patreon page to support it. Like I mentioned in the episode, I have no plans to start a Patreon page of my own, but instead I'm asking you to give to support Marcy's work on the Mockingbird History Lessons. For as little as a dollar a month, you get access to our weekly lessons that are full of information I promise you haven't already learned. I know my eyes have been opened and my heart has changed thanks to Marcy's tireless work and passion that she invests in these lessons.